So uh, welcome everybody. I'm Kimberly, I'm a compulsive overeater. And the topic of this panel is step 12. Our speakers are Laurence and Diana. This session is being interpreted simultaneously. If you prefer to listen in French, please click on the interpretation symbol and choose French. Closed captioning is available in English. Click on live transcript. Let's open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Diana, dear, turn off your camera until it's your turn, okay? We'll cue you when you good. Thanks. Thank you, Sandy. This session will feature two speakers who have up to 20 minutes each. After that, the attendees will be able to ask questions of the speaker by using the Q&A function in Zoom. The, auto, the audio from this session is being recorded and will not be edited. By speaking at this workshop, you give permission to be recorded. Please note that this session will be available online or as a podcast feed. As you have noted, a webinar, which is what we are in, is view only. Only the panelists are visible. Attendees are not visible to each other or to the panel. Attendees are automatically muted. Please use the Q&A function to ask the panelists a question and use the chat for supportive comments. Please respect the anonymity of all who attend, including by refraining from screen capturing or audio recording. And as a reminder to our speakers, the timer will signal you, will say something when you have five minutes left. Remember, you are being interpreted, so please speak slowly. And I uh, am pleased to introduce our first speaker this morning, Laurence from Westchester County, New York. You can unmute Laurence. Thank you, Kimberly. Good morning, everybody. My name is Laurence. I am an addict, binger, restrictor, and a grateful child of God. And I'm so grateful today that I was asked to be of service to this convention and to all of you and to speak on step 12. So let me first give thanks to my higher power. I need higher power to be here with me today. My life is unmanageable. If I am not connecting to my higher power, especially when I have to speak, 
to others and be seen. So please allow me to connect with my center and ask, may my words be useful today to someone who would need them and may what I say only express your truth, not the lies that are in my head. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing will ensure my immunity more than working with others. So in OA, the first person I had to work with was my sponsor. Not an easy task. My sponsor told me how to work a program of recovery, what actions to take one day at a time. To call her every day, to turn my food over to her, to make three outreach calls every day, to go to meetings, to claim my seat, then to share honestly. I learned how to be vulnerable. She told me to read the big book and to give service, to write daily gratitudes. And after a few months in program, when I was finished taking step three, she told me, you have to sponsor. You have to sponsor other to the level of your recovery. After that, I continued taking actions and taking the other steps, a fearless moral inventory, and I turned my step five and felt the spiritual experience as it is described in the 12 steps. I felt there was a connection I had never had before in my entire life. And at that time, I was already 60 years old or even past 60 years old. And that I could finally work with others, other human beings, without feeling threatened, unsafe, or unloved. That experience was my baseline for me to know that I had received a priceless gift. And my mission was to continue, is to continue, to give what I have freely received, what I have freely been given by others 
to others so that they also can experience what I experienced. Today, I have several sponsees. Each time I hear something they are going through, I can be reminded of that, what the disease can do to me. I tell my sponsees what steps I take to deal with the type of situation they're talking about. I, and when I hear myself talk to them, I am reminded, reminded. My mind is restored to its right place. Its right place is actually aligned with my higher power. And this is how, on a daily basis, I am saved from my own insanity. When I work with others, I actually save my life. Each time I take the steps, I gain awareness. Repeating the steps or repeating the road I am traveling each day, I get better at noticing things that I would have not seen otherwise, details. I rehearse, repeat. I just get better at it. I am learning a new set of skills every day. The only way to practice this new set of skills for me is to pass it to someone else. And this is why I try to carry the message to compulsive eaters as well. If I don't carry the message, I lose the message. I forget about it. I have, you know, this inside forgetter all the time. So the message is, it does not have to be so painful. You're safe. You are loved. You are enough. All is good right now. You can keep growing. You can live and be free. You can experience joy and do the holy work that is called service. It's like a muscle, a spiritual muscle. And if I do not exercise it, it gets loose. I have been told a spiritual principle that would say something like, when you know the alphabet, you have to teach the ABC. So this is what I do. If I know how to go to the place someone needs to go, I can show them how I get there. If I've been in a hole and know the way out, I can jump in the hole, into the hole where a fellow fell in and walk with them out again. This is probably why I fell in the hole in the first place. 
which leads me to why I do service. As it is said in the big book, I have a hopeless malady. If I do not stay abstinent, it will be progressively growing. And it's not only progressive, it's permanent and it is fatal. To recover is progressive. I have to keep working at it. It's progress, progress, not perfection. It's just progress. If I want a daily reprieve, I have to give service. Service is to do my higher powers work in the world, in this world. And I have been born with unique features, including the hopeless malady, that are uniquely equipping me to do that work. Basically, each morning I wake up, I have a specific assignment to be of service, and I am presented with opportunities. I can choose to take them or ignore them. Now in recovery, I choose to take them because I have the experience of what happened when I did not. I was always in trouble. I need to ask for higher guidance. And my sponsor taught me that when I am asked to do service, I have to say yes. So when my higher power says, this is the service I am going to present to you right now, I have to say yes. The God of my understanding is constantly with me. And I try to see his manifestations in every detail of my day. I've been given up. I have given up, sorry, I have given up being the controller of my life because I can't manage it. It's unmanageable by myself. I'm powerless with it. So I have to accept and understand everything my higher power decides for me, where he sends me, and who I want to be of service to. I just remember I'm not in control, and I'm not asked to be responsible for the controls. She's so freeing. Oh. So when I received the call to speak at the convention, I looked at it with my usual character defects, and I had a choice. I could choose to be small and comfortable in my comfort zone, or I could choose to stay recovered and carry my message to others who may also still suffer from the same as me. Trust me, <laughs> the voices in my head were driving me insane. That is how I knew that they were not my higher powers will. 
because I also have a mental illness and I have already been listening to those voices and stayed in the pit of insanity, never again. I now have tools of recovery, so I made several calls for help to get me here today. I have written a fear inventory, it was pretty long. I called a fellow to share about the fear of being a fraud. Sharing with that fellow helped both of us. It was God's work. Even the fear I had was God's work. This is service and this is how I work with others. Another way I find myself practicing these principles in all my affairs is in my work with the closest people in my life. I have no significant others um, as a partner, but I have a significant other in my oldest son. He's 27 and has severe autism. I am his voice, advocate, parent, support, and provider. I give him service on daily basis. As it says in the big book, I'm quoting page 97, I never avoid these responsibilities. And every day when I close my nightly review, I can say I have persisted and walked on my path of spiritual progress. And indeed, remarkable things are happening. I'm going to quote the big book in um, page 100. It's going to be uh, Le Gros Livre, page 113. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. My place in this world is to be of maximum helpfulness to others, and I choose to accept that, know that, accept that, knowing I'm always given the resources I need to do the job. And it is a very exciting journey. I'm really joyous to be on it as it takes me to places I have not imagined I would go. Meeting people who are traveling with me and making this world a better place for all one day at a time. 
Thank you for letting me share today. And I want to thank everyone in the convention for all the service that you are doing. I am absolutely awed at everything I have been attending to so far. I want to thank the interpreter and thank you so much. And um, I am going to pass. Thank you so much, Laurence. Very is very. I'm very pleased to hear you this morning, and I'm uh, very pleased to introduce our next keynote speaker, or our next speaker, uh, Diana from New York City. So, Diana, welcome. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Up. Oh, hold on. Let me get myself readjusted. Um, my name is Diana. I am a compulsive overeater. I have been an Overeaters Anonymous uh, for 41 years, and I have a bit of 30. Thanksgiving will be 39 and a half years of current continuous abstinence, God willing. So, um, one of the things that I learned coming into this program, um, my previous speaker addressed this, that when an opportunity for service presents itself, the way I interpret that is that is God knocking on my door saying, how would you like to stay abstinent today? That is my opportunity. That is how higher power to me. Now, I had a little um, preview of coming attractions and a little opportunity to test out something. I was asked to speak at, at a very last minute moment for a meeting that is centered in Connecticut. And I asked a trick question. I said, what's, in more, what's more important? Abstinence for service. Now, the reason it's a trick question is because without service, there is no abstinence. That has been my experience. And this starts on day one. The big mistake, in my opinion, that I hear floating around the rooms is that I can't do service until I'm abstinent. And when I came into OA, um, my meeting was right across the street from where I lived. I was told I was supposed to show up early. Um, I got the job of coffee maker. We had a real coffee pot and to help set up the chairs. And I could not figure out how many calories setting up the chairs or getting the coffee pot out was going to burn. This is where my mind was. But I was told that would help me, so I did it. But it lets you know the kind of thinking that I had at that time, and I didn't understand what service was about. Um, service is probably the most important aspect of this program, and it's not because I'm saying so. It's because if you look at your big book, 
you'll notice that chapters five and six, okay, first one, chapter five, how it works, gets you through step four. Chapter six gets you working with others, gets you, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter six, which is into action, gets you up to step 11. Then we have chapter seven, working with others. One whole chapter devoted to one step, and that's step 12. And that might give one an idea of the proportion of what we're supposed to be doing in this program. Now, we're not supposed to give away anything that we don't have. But what service can I do from day one when I walk into the rooms? I can help put the chairs out when there were chairs. I can, today, when most of us are still meeting virtually, I can volunteer to be the timekeeper. Um, there are many different forms of service that I can do that will ensure my abstinence. And the reason I do service, very selfish, I want to stay abstinent. And I will read you the guarantee. You know, I, the big book is the owner's manual that comes with the car. You know, they say that most people don't look at the owner's manual of the car until they're broken down by the side of the road. Well, it might be helpful to read the manual before we're broken down on the side of the road. So for the benefit of my interpreter and also for my French speakers, I'm going to just read the first paragraph of chapter seven, working with others. It says, Practical experience shows that nothing will much in, nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry the message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. And as a little codicil, I will also remember that I am very ill. So it's important to go to meetings. It is a form of service. There's no question about it. But if you'd like to stick around in this program and have some longevity, and if you believe that you have a disease, which I believe I have, which is not going away, in the same way that I take certain medications every day because I'm older, whatever reason, if I just do it whenever I feel like it, I am not going to get the, benef the benefit of this medication. If I only do service when uh, it kind of crosses my mind, um, it, it won't be of that much benefit to me. But if service is an integral part of my program of recovery, if I am going to stay in fit spiritual condition, I must be of service to my fellows. 
do I want to? Sometimes. There are times I don't feel like it. I am of the personal opinion, and this is what I was taught, is that if you want to stay in this program, stay in the middle of the herd so you don't get kicked off. And where is the middle of the herd? That is taking a service position, whether it's at your meeting, at your intergroup, at region, at world service. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I have this. I have that. We all do. But one of the surprising things is that when one starts doing service, all of a sudden, one's priorities start lining up. And being of service, yes, participate at a meeting, that is a form of service. But I think it's very important if I'm going to have any longevity in this program is that I have an OA job at all times. Now, let's say you don't have a, uh, an elected or an appointed service position that you're meeting. Let's say you're a relative newcomer. Make your own service position. And the best one is being a greeter. I was taught come to a meeting early and leave the meeting late. Because if I've been there even one day longer than someone else, I have something to offer. I can say to the newcomer, congratulations for making it through the threshold. I know how difficult it was for me. Something as simple as that, that is a form of service that's beyond just putting your push in the chair and showing up for the meeting. Staying afterward at a meeting, if you're a newcomer, let's say you haven't gotten to the 30-day abstinence requirement for whatever it is, the service position that you're meeting, you can stay afterward. Uh, well, again, if you're meeting in person or even talking to somebody afterward in the chat and saying, you know what, these are the meetings that I like. Or... Um, you know, frequently uh, when we were meeting face-to-face, -face, I live in New York, a lot of men, when they would come into a meeting, they would see all of these women and I could tell how overwhelmed they were. And I would make it a point to go over and say, I know it looks like there are a lot of women here and there are, here are where the men's meetings are. So these are the small things that I can do. I can be of service today as a brand new newcomer coming into OA. Now, I'll just tell you a little bit about my service uh, resume. Um, I have been uh, chair and vice chair of my intergroup. I have been a uh, newsletter editor. Um, Back in 1989, I, was, I moved out to Los Angeles for a while. And the thing that upset me the most was that I was going to have to give up my service positions of being newsletter editor and vice chair. And I get to LA and I figure if I'm going to be in the middle of the pack here, I'd better get to an intergroup meeting because I didn't know anybody. So I showed up at the intergroup meeting and guess what? They needed a volunteer for the newsletter. And 
for vice chair. So I got both of my jobs back immediately. So if that isn't my higher power taking care of me, I don't know what is. Okay, it, it was it was a little too perfect. So that I've done service at the intergroup level. I've done service um, at the region level. I was a region chair for two terms. I had been a region vice chair for two terms prior to that. And had you told me that the events that were going on in my life would be the events that were going on in my life prior to me taking those service positions, I never would have taken them. Um, during the course of my time being the Region 6 Chair, um, I have a brother um, who has now passed and I became his caregiver. He was down here in New York. His family was uh, in upstate New York. He was receiving his treatment. And uh, part of my daily routine was visiting him every day at the hospital and dealing with whatever needs once he was out of the hospital and staying in a residence with people who were having continuous care. And sometimes he was appreciative and sometimes he was a pain in the butt. But I did it, yes, for him, because being alone in a hospital with nobody else around you and having a family that is coming down to visit you is terrible. I did it because that was the right thing for me to do. That was service outside of OA, but I did it because I wanted to stay abstinent. I realized that even though I had all of these other responsibilities, that if I didn't have myself tethered to OA as strongly as I had with all of these responsibilities, this other thing that was going on in my life with my brother, I don't know that I would still be in OA. I needed something that would keep me anchored. Um, again, I don't like to use the word anchored because that means you know I'm going down. I like to use the word tethered to keep me close to the rest of you. So again, the other day when you know on a moment's notice somebody said we speak at the meeting. At the moment, I didn't feel like it. I didn't want. I didn't want it. But again, you know the the OA muscle memory is. As my predecessor said, uh, I'm supposed to say yes if I possibly can. So that's what I do. If there's any possibility at all that I, I can say yes and I can possibly do it, uh, that is God knocking on my door saying, how would you like to stay abstinent today? I, I interpret it that way in all occasions. Um, I was on the phone with a friend who was one of the organizers of the Region 6 convention. And she asked me to speak. And my customarily, you know, up and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 9.15 a.m. on a Sunday, no. <laughs> I am uh, a true night owl. But this is important because I was asked to do it. I can do it. And I've been around long enough to know how important this is because there are newcomers in the room and so many newcomers labor under the erroneous impression that I have nothing to offer and I'm going to quote wait till I'm abstinent before I do service I implore you do not wait to get 
to do service because the longer you wait, the longer it's going to take to become abstinent. It's that simple. Now, it, it's counterintuitive. A lot of these things in this program are. But I promise you, if you put yourself in a position where if, you, if I can, I can time keep today, I don't have, there's no quote abstinence requirement. If you do any small action, we are people who are, are sick and suffering. It tells me that at the very beginning of this chapter, they're sick, I'm sick. Anything that can get me out of my own head is something that's going to benefit me. I can live in, oh, poor me for the rest of my life. But if I'm of service to others, these are the tiny little steps that I can take. Just take, you know, you know, we come in with very, very low self-esteem. And the only way to build self-esteem is through esteemable actions. And at the beginning, these are just going to be minor. Now, you know, I don't want to say minor things. They're very important things. They're going to see, they're going to be seemingly minor things, but these are the light exercises that we do in order to get prepared for the next step. Now, I want to talk to a few people who've been in program for a little bit longer. I've been in OA two years, whatever it is, it's getting boring. I've heard it all before. Um, I'm not getting anything out of this meeting. When I hear myself saying, I'm not getting anything out of this. The next question is, what am I putting into this? So that is, again, my higher power saying, okay, I have to give back. And I was told that, okay, I have to move to the service of level beyond, beyond, the, group, beyond the group level. And I encourage everyone, even if you're not going to be the rep for your meeting, I'm going to encourage you to try showing up at your intergroup meeting because there may be a job that's just for you. I acquired skills, life skills in this program that I have actually wound up being paid for in the outside world. Because in OA, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. We're allowed to make mistakes. And no one's going to say, ooh, you didn't do it perfectly. They're going to say, thank you for doing it. And I learn more and I can ask for help. It's happened with the newsletter. Um, I will give you an example. In the old days, one person did the editorial. That was me. The other person did the layout. And the person who did the layout said, I'm leaving OA. And I had to get an issue of the newsletter out. And I was equipped. I had a best friend who happened to, she's an award-winning art designer. She threw me in the other room with her equipment and she said, do the best you can and come back and I'll, I'll, I'll help you, you know, line things up. And, that, and that's how that started. You know, I was not equipped, but they say that God equips those who step up to do the service. So even if I think I can't do it perfectly, can I do it at all? That is my opportunity, again, to stay abstinent today. And that's the reason I wanted to emphasize this 12th step, because I'm a person who believes I do 
steps progressively, but I also do all 12 steps every day. For me, that's how my program works. Now, um, where am I on time? Timekeeper, could you flash me? I don't see a timekeeper. Anyway, um, I am going, for the benefit of my interpreter, I'm going to go to the very last page of working with others, to the very last paragraph, okay? And it's italicized. It says, after all, our problems were of our own making. Bottles were only a symbol. Besides, we have stopped fighting anybody or anything. We have to. So this step 12, we have to. I didn't say it, the big book said it, all right. So there aren't a whole lot of musts um, in this big book. It talks about, this is a program of suggestions. Diana, yes? I'm sorry to interrupt, love, but we forgot to get a timer for this meeting. So I'm going to say you probably want to wrap it up like three or four more minutes left. Got it. Not a problem. Yeah. Perfect. It felt, it felt about right. So felt about again, right. I, had, I have, having been around OA a long time, I have my little internal, my little internal clock, which works pretty well. Um, so I'm sure many of you have heard the slogan, you can't hang on to it unless you give it away. I am of the opinion that I can start giving it away the minute I walk into the rooms. I've been there one day longer than the other person who finally got the courage to come into OA and say, even if it's just to say welcome. Um, thanks for coming. I'm glad you had the courage to make it to an OA room. Um, you're welcome to call me. And the last thing that I want to finish with is be judicious with the help that we offer. Um, this is a program for people who want it. It's not a program for people who need it. And at the very beginning, I wanted everybody in my family to come on this OA journey with me, you know, and I'm trying to convince all kinds of people. The best thing that I can do is say, this is what I do. Um, if you would like to do it, um, please let me know. If it turns into a contest, uh, that is also my higher power symbol or my higher power's message to me is that this person is not ready. And it talks about it in the big book. We do not waste our time on people who are not ready. So the people who want this program, they'll be apparent to you. They'll just say, yes, thank you for your help. Um, whatever it is, that's the 12th step. And I wanna thank you for allowing me to be of service today, because guess what? I get to say absent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Diana. Uh, and thank you to our interpreters today. We will now open up the floor to questions and answers. Please type your question into the Q&A function. You will see it at the bottom of your Zoom screen, uh, not the chat. I uh, do already have a couple questions in chat. 
So I'll start there, but oh, would love to see uh, some questions in Q&A also. I'll read the questions and the speakers, you will have up to two minutes uh, to answer. So the first question I got was, I do some service in my um, OA meetings, but there's a lot of conflict. How do you handle conflict in service? Who is that for? That's for both of you. So, uh, or it doesn't say who it's for. And while you're thinking, I would, there's a second request to please put your contact information in chat if you are so willing. But Diana, why don't you take it first and then we'll let Lowell speak to it. Okay. Uh, well, you know, in, I, I can't speak to what the conflict may or may not be within the meeting. Um, but one of the things that I think is very important is that a meeting has a regularly scheduled business meeting. Okay. Uh, there is it is a method by which to handle conflict. So it doesn't blow up in the middle of a meeting. If it isn't something that tries to get dealt with on the spot, you know that you will have an opportunity to be heard and spoken to, spoken with and spoken to. So that's the forum. That, that is what a business meeting is for. Um, and I find that frequently when there is conflict is that one's meeting is not set up to, dis to discuss differences between people. And there will be differences between people. So having an arena, you know, uh, a, a, a time set aside to deal with differences of opinion, that makes all the difference in the world because if it happens in the, in the, in the course of a meeting, oh, they're taking time from sharing and oh, you know, this person's wrong and so on and so forth. It gives it an opportunity, first of all, to slide. You can, uh, again, how each, each individual meeting handles its own business meeting, but I'm a big proponent. First of all, the bigger the meeting, the more often you need a business meeting. So if it's a very large meeting, you need one a month, okay? If it's a smaller meeting, perhaps every other month or every quarter, but I think it's a very important aspect so you know that you will be heard. Now, as a compulsive overeater, I want to be heard now. But um, having that in place, in structure, um, I think is the most valuable way of dealing with conflict within a meeting. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Diana. So, Lohals, how do you handle conflict in doing service? I let... Um... I guess it's tradition too. <laughs> um, I let my higher power be the ultimate authority. Um, and um, I listen to what I am hearing. I'm trying to learn uh, everybody's uh, point of view. I'll consider that there is probably something under the conflict and if I am not part of it I am just listening if I am part of the conflict you know I just voice my opinion and state that it's just my opinion um, I try not to fuel a conflict knowing that it will be 
ultimately resolved by the group conscious. Uh, I don't really like conflicts, so I tend to be more quiet when it happens. And uh, yeah. Thank you, Laurence, and thank you, Diana. Next question I will take out of the Q&A. When you speak with a potential sponsee for the first time, how do you tell them that you work with individuals who want to do the work? Do you mention that fact in the first conversation or not? I'll answer. Go ahead. This is pretty easy. Um, I, first thing I do is I say, call me. All right. I practically say call me to almost everybody who asks. And the first thing they have to do is call. Because a good 50% of the people never even pick up the phone the first time. And that's, that's the God's honest truth. Um, I, you know, that, it, it lets me know that there is a willingness there. And everybody who I deal with uh, is different. Um, I'm not a very formal person when it comes to sponsoring. I listen. I tell people what I do. Um, I'm a big recommender of reading the material. You know the you know the old the old owner's manual and um, talking about it. Um, reading the other materials because. It, you know, meetings are great, and, and we should get to as many meetings as we can. But there's a lot of misinformation that finds its way around meetings as well, okay? Um, and that's why I think it's very important that, you know, first, I get the call. It lets me know that somebody has some willingness. And that at that point, I will suggest to them, uh, read this. Call me back. Let's talk about it. Very simple stuff. That lets me know whether I have um, what they call a prospect in the big book. So, you know, sometimes they hang around for a week, a month, a year. Sometimes they hang around for decades. That has been my experience. Thank you very much, Diana. I'm going to see here, do we need a break to change interpreters? We, we have nine minutes left in this workshop. So, Sandy, will you tell me if I need to stop? Hey, let's see. On, are you okay, my love? Ça va? Okay. All right. So, we'll continue. Merci, Anne. So, Laurence, can you speak to the question? I can. <laughs> my experience so far has been that I have never had to say that to a sponsee. I don't really seek sponsees. Um, so I have only a, I would say, two years experience of having sponsees. And they seek me. Um, I welcome them. And then they sometimes very quickly leave me. That's not a problem. I uh, do not take it personally. I'm working my program. 
I am there for them if they want it. I am always available to them. Um, that's how I deal with that question. I don't even tell them. I mean, you know, if they leave, they leave. Thank you, Laurence. So, Laurence, I'm going to give you first shot at the next question, and then Diana, uh, and it's in the chat, and um, I'm going to combine it with, a, I mean, it's in the Q&A, and I'm going to combine it with a question I had. So, wait, um, Manon asks, when you finish working the 12 steps with the sponsee, do you encourage them to take on a sponsee right away? And she says, this is a crucial experience, which I missed in my journey, uh, and that her recovery took off once she had a sponsee. So do you tell your sponsees at the end of step 12 uh, to take on a sponsee? And then my question, which is a corollary, was how do you help your sponsees work step 12? So Laws. So uh, my experience is my sponsor asked me to take sponsees when I was in step four. So I um, tend to announce that <laughs> it gets very quickly forgotten by my sponsees, but that's how I pronounce it. You know, <laughs> you're going to have to become a sponsor uh, when you reach your step four. My experience so far is that I have not yet had a sponsee reach step 12 with me. I hope it's soon going to happen. Okay. Thank you, Laurence. Diana? Um, I, I pretty much had the same answer. If you wait to step 12, you wait a little too long. Um, you know, we sponsor up to the level of our own experience. And Again, you, you can wait till step 12, but why, why would you want to deprive yourself of the insurance? It says it right here. You get the insurance policy after, you know, and, and step four sounds just about right to me. So, um, you know, if, if you want to do it, go to step nine. Okay. You know, I, I don't really want to push anybody, but, um, there, you don't have to wait till you complete all 12 steps. As I mentioned before, um, you know, you can be of service where nobody else can. And that's it. Thank you very much, ladies. Uh, next question I saw in the chat was um, that the 12th step talks about uh, the uh, having a spiritual awakening. How do I know if I've had a spiritual awakening and I'm ready to do step 12. Who'd like to start? Okay, the news is bad. You won't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but that's also good news because it talks about it in the big book. It said, you know, other people will notice the difference in you before you notice it in yourself. So, um, you know, you know, sorry, no burning bushes, you know, no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, if you, my, if anybody remembers algebraic equations from, uh, from school, you're going to solve from the, for the unknown, 
you know, X or Y. If you can't quite figure out why you're abstinent today, but you are, that unknown thing, that's your higher power giving you that gift today. And what I do is I say, thank you. And I go find somebody else to help. And that's how you know you've had a spiritual experience. And you can't quite figure out why you're not drawn to eat the house down, okay? You've had your spiritual experience, okay? Um, that's in my opinion, okay? So that, you know, for me, it was little things. At the very beginning, you know, I had these very flippant ways of praying. But for some reason, I didn't want to eat the way I wanted to eat before I said the prayer. And I said, I guess that must be that higher power that they're all talking about um, who did for me today what I could not do for myself. That is the spiritual experience that they're talking about in the big book, that some power greater than yourself is going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And if you kind of even feel a little bit why you can't figure it out, you got one. Thank you, Diana. Do you mind repeating the question? Uh, the, the short version is, how do I know if I've had a spiritual awakening? You know it. <laughs> you feel it. It's a feeling. It's something, my experience is that when I am agitated, that's not a spiritual experience. Experience. That's my disease talking. When I am feeling good, feeling quiet, feeling that's that's not me. <laughs> that's just God through me. So that's how I know. Thank you both. Next question in the chat. How do you avoid service burnout and it's a follow-up is how much service is too much service okay i can take that one <clears throat> first if you don't mind um i avoid burnout by always asking do i take or do I not take before I say yes? Because my tendency is to say yes all the time. And I can't. I mean, I am limited by my humanness and by the fact that I live in space and in this silly thing called 24 hours. So I have to have solid boundaries um, and I get my answers so I get my answers first of all I talk to my sponsor uh, if I didn't hear the answer directly from my higher power and sometimes I talk to other fellows but I know when I am um, going too far path Thank you, Long. Sorry, I'm taking notes for me. Uh, Diana, would you like to address that question? Uh, I'm of the opinion is that if I'm in service burnout, I just need a different kind of job. Um, 
you know, there are jobs that keep me very involved with my fellows. And then there are others that I can do pretty much alone. And, um, you know, it, it may just be, you know, uh, the same way in life. You know, I, I don't like this job anymore. And it's time to find something else to do. I, I, I again, it may be, I, I don't like to think of it as less. I like to just think of it as different. Um, I'll just give you a very specific example from my own, my own background. Um, I was, I was uh, carrying three service positions at my intergroup, and it was time for a rotation of service. And I let go of one of them because it required that I show up at uh, an additional meeting uh, once a month in the evening. And I found myself feeling, you know what, I'm going to be resentful at that meeting. I could feel it. And I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to let go of, of these three service positions. I'm going to let go of this one. First of all, there are other people who need that opportunity. And thank you for letting me share. Sorry, I apologize, Diana. I didn't look nope, at the time. Not at all. I should have looked at the time there. Thank you for being a timekeeper. Thank you both. <laughs> And um, also, I mentioned one of the questioners by name earlier, and I apologize for that. Um, uh, I get so excited. Uh, I think we're all in person, uh, and we're not. So uh, to that person, I apologize. So let's uh, close with a serenity prayer, and we'll have a uh, quick break and get together for the closing and the keynote speaker uh, to... Um, help us uh, uh, get close to the end of a, a wonderful convention. So uh, unmute if you can and join me in the serenity prayer. There you go, my timer is late. Uh, join me in the serenity prayer in the we version. God, God grant us, grant the, us serenity the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, the courage to change the things we can, and the courage to know the difference. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Thank everybody. you, interpreters. Thank, Thank you very much. Our Thank our you, everybody, for your help. And especially our two wonderful speakers. And I'm going to turn it over to the uh, closing and keynote setup team. All right, I'm going to stop interpretation.